Former Los Angeles rock radio personalities Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita were looking for an outlet to continue to talk about their passions, radio and music. The radio landscape has changed so much over the years, and this podcast is their new avenue to discuss music, artists, media, and hopefully keep the spirit of radio alive. It's the Spirit of Radio podcast with your hosts, Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita. And now, here's Ken and Frankie. All right, this is the Spirit of Radio podcast. This is episode number eight. I'm Frankie DeVita. I'm Ken Anthony. Eight already, Frankie? Eight already. And it's a COVID wow. year. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, you, know, we're, you know, Frankie, we must, we must say that we want to thank the folks at Benstown where we normally do our podcast, but this time we're doing it from, from our home. computers, <laughs> from home, on Zoom. It's like the 2020 thing to do. So hopefully there's no uh, issues here. Yeah, I think I think we're going to be good. We tested this out, so I think we're good. But I want to introduce our guest. I'm super excited. I've been thinking about having you on for several months now, um, and I was trying to get a hold of you. I finally, you know, took the obvious route and finally got a hold of you. But I want to welcome Matt Pinfield to the Spirit of Radio podcast. Hey guys. Welcome, Matt. Hey, good to see you guys, Frankie. Ken, how are you? We're uh, we're, we're doing, doing well. great because we've got Matt Pinfield here on our. Uh, on our uh, inaugural Zoom podcast. <laughs> inaugural. The first one. So you guys usually do this from the Benchon Studios? Yeah, we usually do. But, you yeah. know, with COVID and all that, we uh, we decided to, we, it was kind of a mutual, like, let, we're going to put the, the studios on hold for a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. We'll probably be back there at some point. But uh, for now, we were like, you know what? We Let's just do it from home. Everyone else is. So, uh, Matt, you are our virgin Zoom podcast. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Well, and it's cool. I appreciate you asking me. It's great to see two cool radio people that I, I really respect. So it's great. It's oh really well, nice. thank you. And if you and if you see the background here, I'm I am literally in a padded room. Uh, this is my vocal booth because I'm a voice actor. So this is my vocal booth. So I am in yeah, a padded room. <laughs> it looks nice though. It looks good. And it looks and, really and, and, uh, Matt, you see my Metallica uh, poster behind me, uh, which and, I love. Right. Yes. There, there you go. <laughs> I know what right. rock guy you are. I, I love it, you know? Well, let, let me get to a little bit of your, your background and your history. So uh, what, what I wanted to tell you too, Ken, if you didn't already know this, he's a, he's a Jersey boy too, just like Lou Brutus. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So TV host, radio personality, author, best known for being, uh, well, I don't know if you're best known for this. You're known for so many things. VJ on VH1 and MTV. You were also an A&R man at Columbia, which I didn't know, which is super cool. And uh, you're currently a DJ on Sirius XM's Lithium channel, right? Yeah, I do some of that. I do a syndicated show, too. Um, speaking of Benstown, with them, uh, called Flashback, that I've been doing mm -hmm. for 10 yeah. years in January, which is really cool. So, you know, you know that show uh, well. And I love, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I love radio so much. I mean, radio was my first love, besides music, of course. Of you course. Know, but how did I find out? Well, about that's why we got into it was the music, right? A hundred percent. I mean, the most important thing, you know, and I mean, like everybody else, you know, I was the kid who was so fascinated, not only with 45 records as a little kid, uh, but radio uh, from the time I was, you know, I just was glued to the radio and checking out all the cool top 40 in the uh, 1960s and then early 70s, but also, you know, was, uh, checking out FM radio too, because there were FM top 40 stations and I had an older brother and sister. 
So, you know, I lived in New Jersey, so you would pick up stations, mostly New York. So it was, you know, PLJ, NEWFM, as far as FM stations go. In that period, there were rock stations. Um, but, you know, I listened to WABC in New York. And that was kind of cool because, you know, working with Cousin Brucey and people like that at Sirius, you know, seeing these guys, and you know, listened to when I was five, you know, wow. so. But um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I've never lo lost that love for radio. I mean, it, for me, it's still the greatest medium. So what was your uh, first, obviously you grew up around radio and I know Frankie did in, in Los Angeles and I did it um, in the San Francisco area, listening to KSAN, the original KSAN back in the day. Um, there's almost that fascination. Who are some of your favorite early DJs that influenced you? Well, you know, early on, I certainly loved as a kid, you know, I said Cousin Brucey, but I loved Murray the K was on uh, NBC uh, when I was a young kid. And uh, so I really liked his show, of course. And he always had that fascination that he was considering himself the fifth Beatle. I mean, many people right. did, but I mean, you know, he had that kind of uh, thing. You know, and I listened to people like Scott Muni, but, um, and Scott was great. And, you know, the really cool thing about Scott Muni was, getting to know him, uh, you know, in his later years before he passed away. Mm. I, was, I went to a dinner for this Elton John celebration. You might remember it was happening in the early 90s called Two Rooms. And it was a, mm -hmm. a compilation thing. And I ended up sitting there having dinner uh, with Scott Muni. And we were talking about our kids, you know. And at the time, my daughter, Jessica, who is my oldest daughter, who actually lives with me now in L.A., she moved from Brooklyn in New York because New York's a bit of a mess right now. So I yeah. said, move, come move out here with me in LA. Is, uh, yeah. So she's here. But um, I remember hearing him and I talking about our kids and him telling me this incredible story about how, you know, when your kids lock themselves in the bathroom when they're little kids um, and, you know, you're, they're terrified because they don't know how to get out and you're on the other side. And he said, oh, you know, that happened to one of my kids once. And, you know, my son, I said, Go behind the toilet, he told me. Go, 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 hide, sit behind the toilet. And Scott's a big guy, so he said he slammed the door in and the thing <laughs> went down, you know, right off the hinges so he could get his, uh, his little boy off of there. Well, I, I thought. I thought you were gonna you were gonna say that Scott said, "Hey, take the radio in the bathroom and listen to the radio and occupy yourself." <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us did, right? When you were kids, you yeah. everywhere, you know. And um, so he was great, you know. And I also there was a guy because you know it was if you were in the New York market, if, I guess you guys would understand this too. If you were in one of the you know top three or four markets, five markets, uh, which we're all familiar with. You know, you didn't have as much access to be getting a job there right away as a young person, right. even though you mm -hmm. wanted to be. And especially in those areas of the late 1970s, um, you know, I mean, in the beginning of the 80s, I started doing college radio at Rutgers. But, um, you know, there wasn't the opportunity because I hear stories from all these people I know and respect. Like, oh, I worked on a radio station when I was 16 and, mm -hmm. you know, in a little market, you know, because they had the opportunity to do so. So it was something that we always wanted to do. But what I did do when I was about nine, 10 years old, there was a DJ at the local New Brunswick, New Jersey station, a great guy named Rich Phoenix, who I wrote about in my book. I tell the story. And then he actually, he's an elderly gentleman now. And he came to one of my book signings in New Jersey, which was so great that, you know, that comes full circle, but he was so nice to me. He would let me come into New Brunswick, which was by the way, you know, is part of that Rutgers area, but it was not a very safe area, to tell you the truth. Yeah. My parents would drop me off there, and he'd let me go in and sit in on his radio shows. And I'd watch him DJ when I was like nine or 10 years old. And it was, uh, 
really cool to just do that. Watch him spinning vinyl and doing his shows. Oh, that's really young. Yeah, that's. I mean, I knew I wanted to do that. And then, of course, what I also would do is they would have all the 45s that they were uh, literally getting rid of. You know what I mean? So they would have like a big pile of stuff and I would always go and grab and just, you know. Do you still have any of that stuff? You know, it's in storage. You know, I have a, you're going to laugh. I have a a record collection here in Los Angeles and then I have another one in storage in uh, the East Coast. And the reason is when I moved (laughs) to San Francisco to work at KFOG, right? I ended up literally just taking three big suitcases, packing my house. One of my best friends uh, is in the trucking business. And I, I say that people are like, oh yeah, North Jersey. I'm, and I'm like, really? I used to live a mile from, if you watch the beginning of The Sopranos. When Sopranos. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I used, to, like, I used to have a house right there. My friend knew that I had to move and I was in San Francisco and I had to do it pretty quickly. So he said, I'll tell you what, I'll send over two trucks, just <laughs> drivers, and I'll put it on one of my containers on my yard. And seriously, that's where the other record collection is and nobody will mess with it because nobody will mess with him but uh, you know what i mean but um yeah oh i'm sorry i was gonna say i was gonna say matt uh you know since frankie uh has defied your logic about radio and done her most of her career in los angeles Mm -hmm. yeah which i think is brilliant you know what i mean yeah how old were you when you first did it frankie I got, I was late to the game. Um, I did a lot of interning and stuff, but my first broadcast job wasn't until 28. So I got into the actual brought like my first radio gig. I did some broadcast, like uh, things for morning show DJs at KNAC 105.5. Pure I, rock. What a great yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I was yeah. the um, on the street reporter for Thrasher in the morning. So I would go oh, out with the, to concerts with a, a tape recorder but yeah i got started about 28 but all my entire career was ventura inland empire here just all southern california stuff so i it's just so that. great and the reason i'm saying that matt is because uh i and you unlike frankie have worked in other markets and i like you maybe not as many but i do remember uh jobs in um uh houston uh st louis uh san antonio all rock stations and moving my albums. And at one point I had 3,000 albums. And that's why I'm laughing because uh, I was married at the time. We moved out to do the KLOS job and half of the moving van were albums. (laughs) I believe it. You can relate to that, right? Oh, I can so relate to that. It's unbelievable, you know? I mean, I moved back and forth from LA once before, you know, for after MTV, the first time I was doing MTV stuff, I, I literally moved out to do Farm Club with Jimmy Ivey and, and uh, Doug Morris, that show that, you know, Dr. Dre was a part yeah. of and Eminem, but everybody, I mean, we had everybody played on it, Beyonce with Destiny's mm-hmm. Child and, mm-hmm. you know, tons of rock bands, Godsmack and, mm-hmm. you know, System of a Down, people like that doing their first TV appearances ever on that show. Oh. Um, you know, I, I, they moved my stuff out all of my stuff from New Jersey, first out on a universal truck. And then I got a job when that show ended at Sony doing A&R for Columbia Records. So that the Sony truck moved it all back to the wow. East Coast again. But I mean, I've done that lots of moves on my own before that in New Jersey, in New York City. And let me tell you, there was one point where it was a big joke living in New York City. And at this point I was, you know, doing that show, The Buzz on K-Rock for quite a few years there. Wow. And, uh, but I was, and I even did it while I was, I would still do it while I lived in LA doing Farm Club. Steve Kingston, who was the program director there, such a great guy. Um, he just reached out to Kevin Weatherly and said, hey, you know, I'm going to keep Matt on the air 
doing that new music show on Sunday nights mm -hmm. from LA. So I just do it at the, at the old uh, K Rock studios mm -hmm. over on Olive mm -hmm. in that area of Burbank. But um, yeah, moving records is just one of the craziest, hardest things in the world to do. And I can only How imagine- How many albums did you have at, because at, 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 I topped out at 3000 and my wife at the time said, I think you might want to get rid of them. And of course, when CDs came, that mm -hmm. was an excuse to get rid of a lot of them. I kept, you know, some that were really important to me, early Beatles albums and things like that. But what was the maximum albums that you had at any one time? You know, it was probably around that, that amount of records, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe like, maybe, maybe 4,000, something like that. I mean, <laughs> wow. I don't know, you know, like, um, and now I, wow. have, I have hundreds here. But what happened is when I moved to San Francisco, because I just literally went with like three suitcases yeah. and I knew I bought, a new, you know, like new furniture and the whole yeah. thing. I um, went up to a place called Santa Rosa, which is a little town with yeah. all these antique shops. Mm -hmm. I found a 1956 turntable on four legs, decided to collect some 45s to play on it, and then eventually bought another used like 80 stereo system in North Beach of San Francisco and then just started buying records again. So now I have this complete collection here and when my daughter got here to move here literally weeks ago i went oh man i gotta downsize and so i did i got rid of a bunch of stuff because I, I just had to do oh, it to make daughter albums oh, yeah daughter first daughter first i gotta, I gotta say. you do you realize how um people listening to this now that um that are younger were going wow albums 45s i mean everything's digital now it's just really fascinating to me yeah, I mean, you know, I, I definitely love streaming too. I mean, I, I love the uh, ability to make playlists, you know, through Spotify and Apple Music. And But I still love my vinyl and I mm -hmm. love that I have it. And I love the tangible idea, the product, the things that you can read. Um, you know, it was always such a big part of my life. I was just fascinated with records spinning around since I was about three years old. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm glad that I still have a ton of money. I have too many 45s too. I have I have just an insane amount of stuff. And I was talking to a guy in the band. I just did this. Well, there's a thing called punk rock karaoke and it's online. <laughs> and it's like literally the guys from like Goldfinger, Bad Religion, the Dickies, all these other bands. And it's a different punk singer um, generally on every one of them, but they actually had me do a song. So I just, mine came out this week all over social media, me doing Ace of, Ace Spades, of Spades by Motorhead. We saw it. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, fun. <laughs> You guys gonna kick out of that it was like it oh, was awesome i showed it to my husband we were we were yeah you did a great job thank you you know i gotta tell you guys i never sang lemmy before you know and I, of course loved lemmy and the punk rock was the songs they had they've kind of done everything that i when they used to tour around i do like a dead boy song or something else you know and but then i was like you know i'm gonna give this a go and i was i gotta admit i'd never sang uh you know, Ace of Spades before, but loved the song so much. Well, when you just and, did that uh, impersonation of the truck driver, I was like, oh yeah, he could totally do Lemmy. <laughs> yeah, you know, which is cool because Lemmy was always at the rainbow. Playing right. video game, or that like card game on the machine and drinking his Jack and Cokes. And he was always a pretty funny guy. Very, I love this dry, smart sense of humor. So I thought I did him, I, you know, I was glad I did him justice, I thought. And we did a great job. Thank you. Guys, you know, it's funny. We filmed that and all of them, it was filmed with the phone. It was the iPhone. So the audio, when you see me with the headphones on and the microphone, they're not even turned on. Like I'm just, they're props. I literally sang into a phone 
that was on a stand literally in front of me. And they used that to film me and to tape my vocals. Did you guys and, do all that simultaneously? Like you, they no, were they actually, I sang over the bass and the drums, mm. all right? But it had to be all done in one take. So mm. I did it three times. The first two mm -hmm. was just timing issues. Um, but, and then the third take nailed it. You know, they thought it was like, it's good. So there was then, no guitar in your take. When I did my take, because they, one of them was recorded, <laughs> but they forgot to transfer it when I sang it. So I was wow. just singing over wow. the bass and the drums. You did pretty is, darn well for that. Uh, thank you, Frankie. It was yeah. fun. You know, I love I, Ace of Spades is a classic. You well, know, well, just, were you tired after that? Because I was tired watching it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so intense. And people are looking at me going, man, your eyes, you're looking at me. I go, oh, man. Me, are you white? I go, yeah, I'm white on coffee. That's about it. I'm sober. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, but I was just, I had to get into the groove. I mean, I had to do Lemmy Justice. That's the thing. Because otherwise people would have, you know, poo-pooed it. They would have said, wow, this is lame. You could, I, I just, that was the thing. I did not want it to be lame, you know, so. Oh, no, it was, it was so fun. fun. It was a fun video. Yeah, yeah you know. Frankie and I were talking about it uh, this morning and said, uh, well, we got to talk about uh, his uh, Ace of Spades. And we were going to talk about it right at the beginning. That's when Frankie said, no, 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 let's wait. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was having yeah, a I, I appreciate it. And I see you have a Nathaniel Ratliff hat on. Yes. Uh, you know, he's such, I love him, by the way. He's such a great Fantastic. Guy. Fantastic. Yeah. I got to tell you guys, the story is amazing that I uh, was doing, there was a documentary on Denver music in about 2007. This may be yeah. six. I'm getting, no, seven. Yeah. And I was brought up to Denver to work on this. And he was in a band called Born in the Flood. And, um, I got to know him up there. One of the craziest things in the world happened though, while we were shooting, we'd done this two day thing with bands like the Vodka and um, there were some other Denver bands at the time. And w after their performance, Born in the Flood, we were like, it was at the Comcast. Uh, they had like a gigantic, like uh, almost like a fortress. It was this, it was mm -hmm. this big area. And the craziest thing in the world happened. Uh, Nathaniel and I were helping, everybody was helping out and shipping in and like, you know, putting chairs away and doing everything after the performance and the guy who was shooting on the jib dropped down dropped fell down right in front of me and nathaniel and died he died like he literally oh had, had an aneurysm wow. burst uh, and you didn't see it but that's what we found out later but he like just hit the ground and, and nathaniel and i were like what though you know what i mean mm. we were we couldn't believe it uh and um it was just the craziest thing in the world and then you know we found out later that he had died instantly, but he, wow. they couldn't find, like I remember the EMS people were trying to find their way through this fortress. It was pretty incredible. But Nathaniel and I, of course, had to go out after that and decompress because of <laughs> Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, you know, but I yeah. love him. He's such a great guy. And you know, he would do showcases for me at CMJ. And I remember when I was in the morning show on RXP in New York City, I would have him on and he'd be playing at, he called himself the wheel and he was doing like an indie thing. And, I he called me up and say, hey, man, you think I might be able to come to your show? And I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, come on in and do a song, you know? So I, me and Leslie Fram had him come in and do a song. And then one day I all of a sudden am driving and I'm, I got Sirius XM on one station and I hear this voice and I go, it's SOB, right? And I go, holy shit, that, that's, that's Nate. It's Nate. Yeah. Cause I look, it says Nathaniel Ratliff. I go, it's Nate, it's Nathaniel. I was so happy for him. I couldn't have been more overjoyed with his success. What a great know, live band, too. I mean, he's yeah. just an incredible entertainer and just such a cool sound. I really, yeah. really enjoy it.
You yeah, know? yeah. Just nothing make me happier because he's a really good guy from the heart too. He's he's good people, you know, and super talented and a very unique voice. You recognize, you know, you immediately oh, yeah. he's recognizable, and that's 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 a good thing, right? Well, um, Frankie, um, I didn't know if you were going to ask about Eddie, or maybe I should, or yeah. uh, I. I, I heard you uh, on KLOS. Um, I guess you were on with Stu and with Sluggo. Yeah. And those stories were incredible. Do yeah. you mind um, yeah. sharing I, them again? Oh, I'd love to, actually. You know, because it's pretty, you know, it's very interesting. In fact, I had posted a picture of me and Eddie and my friend Austin Redding that I had forgot was even taken at 5150. And I went over for my friend Austin, who used, you know, like I... The story starts, this is an interesting one, that we uh, were shooting my show, Matt Rock, which a lot of people thought, you know, when people go to me, hey, man, I love when you did Headbangers Ball. I'm like, it wasn't called Headbangers Ball, it was called Matt Rock, because they changed the name of it. But some people know that, other people, and I stopped correcting them because I know that what they mean, and mm -hmm. I don't want to kill their buzz either, you know what I mean? But <laughs> that show was like a great show, and I had, you know, everybody was on there, like Ozzy was on there. And the episode with Van Halen was really, uh, really incredible. And how the episode started, which was one of the things that's unbelievable. And I know a couple of people have said they have it. They're going to digitize it. But we started the ones, uh, the, the show where Eddie's guitar was on my neck and my hands are behind my back. I've got sunglasses on a cigarette in my mouth. Eddie is reaching around me and he's playing eruption ripping it mm. so it looks like it's me playing i'm going like this on my head like you know acting like i'm playing wow. it wow and then he pops up over my shoulder and goes pretty good matt welcome to matt rock and does the intro <laughs> to the show which is pretty great i mean he was such a good sport and the thing that came out of that incredible session was that my friend who had been a medic in the first gulf war you know uh the first iraq kuwait war desert storm ended up being a producer at MTV and now he does films and TV shows. Um, but he loved Van Halen he, and he got like a homemade tattoo in Iraq uh, of a v, the VH. So I, we were having dinner after we shot the show with the guys and um, I made him show Eddie the tattoo. And he started talking about how, you know, he wants to get engaged to his girlfriend. And we, I basically said, you know, wouldn't it be, it'd be, re it'd be really cool. Wouldn't it be cool if it, get engaged on stage at one of your shows mm -hmm. and they literally look at me and he goes we'll do it and so <laughs> we set this wow. up and i almost didn't make it on time because we were shooting the mtv beach house and the traffic going from the jersey shore back to new york city to the garden was was pretty horrible but we ended up getting there just in time creed were opening and i remember that it was like their first tour from my own prison and they had two songs left but Austin's girlfriend, Julie, who's now his wife, you know, they have, uh, they have ch two children. Um, they, uh, and they're still married, still married and doing well, wow. uh, which is fantastic. And especially after this engagement, right? So yes. she thought she was going there to see me sing back up on jump during the encore. <laughs> it was like, right? So that's what she, she's like, oh, cool. Where are we going? So we meet them there. And I get on stage right before the encore and I greet the crowd. People are screaming and I say, you know, my producer of my show, Matt Rock, uh, uh, it's always been his dream to be on stage with Van Halen. And we're going to make that happen tonight. And then he comes up and grabs a microphone and he says, you know, it always has been my dream, but I have something more important to do tonight. And then here's Michael Anthony and Eddie 
And we're all standing there and pull her up on stage. Austin drops to his knees and there's a photo of me and Eddie there on both sides and the two of them. And he proposes at Madison Square Garden on the big screen. Wow. Asks her to marry him. She says yes. And they go into jump. And it was just wow. brilliant. It was wow. beautiful. And how cool is that? Eddie, that Eddie was so up for that. And, you know, he stayed in touch with Austin too, you know, which was no really kidding. cool. Yeah, you know, he was he, he actually had texted him in this last year uh, just to see how him and his family was doing. That was the kind of guy he was, you know? Wow. And uh, I also told that other funny story, which I yeah. think you can, where uh, I'm going to the bathroom. Is that the one you're talking yes. about? Yes. Because yes. this one, Frankie, you'll love, and other people might may or may not know this, but <laughs> I go in to sit on the throne, right? I go into the <laughs> toilet, and it's the one that's right between the lounge at 5150, the studio, and uh, and literally, you know, if you go through the door there, there's the studio. So I look over by the toilet paper dispenser, and there's a quarter-inch jack under it for a plug-in, <laughs> for a guitar cord. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy oh, shit, that's amazing. Rips, rips on the ball. So I go out, and I literally, I said, I go, Eddie, you jam, you jam in the toilet? He goes, of course. <laughs> that's so great. I'm like, I wonder what Rissy came up with in there on some of those later Van Halen albums. You know, what's what's really funny is you said, holy shit. I mean, how appropriate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's so true. I was like, oh, it was amazing. Oh, no, Eddie, Eddie had such, uh, he was just so amazing. I, I used to do a show years and years ago um, called Rock of Ages. And I would do, it was kind of similar to Flashback. Uh, ironically but it um but i was telling this story about eddie and alex and alex was telling us uh, was was that it was, he was being interviewed so i was playing this audio clip and it was um he was saying that he would go be getting ready to go on a date and eddie would be on the bed playing guitar he would leave uh alex would come back like eight hours later and eddie was still in the same spot playing that's mm. amazing and that, mm. it makes total sense doesn't it it's incredible yeah you know i believe no. that. I mean, he was just he was a virtuoso of, i mean you know one of the greatest ever well that's what i'm going to ask you matt um since this has all come down obviously people talk about Jimi hendrix and then eddie van halen so if you were to put like um um the top maybe four or five rock guitarists he would have to be in there, correct? Yeah, he would be, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I and I think that you, he's undeniable, whether you're a big Van Halen fan or not. I think he's in the top five, sure. I mean, you know, we, obviously, I'm a big Jimmy Page fan too. And, yes. You know, uh, you know, but there's somebody, and I love Townsend, even though I call Townsend is the uh, greatest rhythm guitar player, one of, or Malcolm Young. I'm, it's like yeah. somewhere in between those two, right? You would know, you put Jimmy? Would you put Jimmy on that Mount Rushmore? Jimmy Page. Jimi Hendrix. Oh, Jimi Hendrix? Yeah, I would, because I think he changed a lot. I mean, I think he really changed the way people looked at the guitar. And uh, because of his influence and his style was so different, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always say, I wish I was at that show at Monterey Pop oh. in 67, where the Who go on and they smash up all their equipment. And then Jimmy, by the way, they signed Jimmy in England. They were the ones. They put his records out first. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. their managers. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, what do you call Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp, those guys uh, and Townsend really liked Hendrix. So he was like, oh, this guy's really good. Let's sign him. And um, then and so Jimmy in return wants to show them up. And then he after they smash up all their equipment during my generation, 
he lights his guitar on fire after he humps <laughs> it a few times, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> he's sh showing yeah, him up. You know, he decided he was going to light on fire and, and go a little further with that. I think Townsend forgave him for it, but uh, I would have loved to have been at that show. What, what an incredible uh, thing to see those two together, especially in their prime, you know, but. Uh, so, so Matt, you, you have worked in a lot of different genres of music. Like I know you love metal. And, um, you know, obviously Led Zeppelin and, and those are influences, but what is your, what's your favorite genre? Like, I know you've worked a lot with alternative rock in the nineties and, and you're good friends with a lot of those bands and those artists. What's your, what do you identify you know, with? The I got to tell you something. It's like, really, I just love like rock. I just love rock. Even if it's rock, like a band with synthesizers that rocks, it's edgy. I mean, I, but I mean, I, for me, it's really hard to say because I, I guess that's the reason why I was the only person at MTV who straddled both lines. I could host yeah. 120 minutes mm -hmm. and then that new version of Headbangers. Because for me, it's like, I, I just loved great music as a kid growing up. I mean, you know, and I mean, I mean everything. I mean, obviously uh, the Beatles and the, we're a starting point. You know, I love the Beatles and love the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, you know, Led Zeppelin and so many bands. Uh, you know, I was a huge Bowie fan. I mean, there were so many people, Aerosmith when they were, you know, the, first five albums queen i saw at the beacon theater night at the opera tour as a young kid 1976 when they, when bohemian rhapsody and that album was new so it was the first four queen albums wow. and it was brilliant i mean you know so but i love so many things i mean i liked the punk revolution the original one because i thought it was cool and, and i thought that a lot of stuff that was artists that had been around for a while were making soft records and it needed a good kick in the ass you know what i mean but i like i mean i, I also would listen to stuff like singer songwriter stuff i mean i, I just mm -hmm. love music so much that for me i mean i'm always i i never try to be too genre specific but i am i am grateful that you know i've been identified with and accepted in the hard rock and metal world and the alternative world because i do love them both very much it's definitely paid off i got grateful. a question for you matt grateful. Um, Thank you, for you were talking about uh seeing uh, uh bands in their prime i remember seeing queen back in the day um I saw ACDC with Bon Scott and Angus Young in the late 70s in San Francisco, and it changed my world. And now they have a brand new song. ACDC, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, That's it's the greatest this, band this ever. It sounds great. This new song. Yeah. Have you heard it? Right yeah, shot in the dark. dark. So good. You know, I just, I never, that band was for me, can do no wrong. I, uh, and of course, you know, it was really at first, and I love Back and Buck. But I was such a Bond guy. Although yes, I will say, I never, I never got to see Bond. I'm glad you got to see him. Oh, incredible! Um, I didn't see him until you know that back in black and when Brian was in the band. And yeah. uh, but I loved Bond. You know, I, I I remember being a kid, a teenager, seeing the High Voltage album and thinking it mm -hmm. looked really cool. So that you know, with TNT on it, and mm -hmm. and then uh, the next album, of course, I loved Let There Be Rock. It's still got a big uh, place in my heart. It's one of my favorite albums. Mm -hmm. Then it was Power Age. And then, of course, Highway to Hell, and there was a live album in between it. But uh, I, I loved Bon Scott. It was just, it was one of those things. So at first, did you have the same thing, Ken, where you were, yeah. I, I don't know, because, but then Brian Johnson reminds me so much of Dan McCafferty from Nazareth. He had yes. that kind of voice, yes. right? You, you know what, you know what it is, Matt? Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you the, the story real quick. Uh, when I saw them, um, it was one of their first tours in the, in, the, in the States. It was in San Francisco, late 70s. 
And their encore was, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And I've told this on KLOS before, I'll never forget, on the encore, Bon Scott literally grabs Angus, puts him on his shoulders, gives him a piggyback ride. He's <laughs> singing, and Angus is playing the guitar, which is in front of, uh, of uh, Bon's stomach. He's literally giving a piggyback yeah. ride, They're running around the club, Bon singing, he's playing guitar. I've never forgotten that moment. Crazy. Incredible. <laughs> plus, they're, ac they're acrobats. Plus, <laughs> I, I swear to you guys, uh, Bon was having shots of whiskey almost after every song. He yeah. was the real deal. And when I, when I found out how he died, it was like, well, yeah, he did like to drink. <laughs> yeah, he sure but, did. I mean, oh, man. I, I, was, I mean, what a loss. His lifestyle, he lived that lifestyle. And I think that's what was so great about him. But, but to answer your question about Brian, Brian just took it in a different direction, but, but yeah. it, mm -hmm. still, it still works. Yes, and I love Brian, and I love those records. I love, you know, I love Back in Black for those about to rock. You know, I love all the, I mean, all the records that came after. I mean, I think, I mean, I, you know, all those records, even, even the new single and the album before it, you know, that, that, that tour, the Black Eyes tour, I loved uh, all that stuff. I, uh, and Brian's such a cool, funny guy. He's just an incredible, great interview. You know, I'll tell you, what was really cool is I got to have dinner with Angus and Brian with the MTV music department. And I was like, wow. really, besides the hits that people knew, I really like, I knew the, the bond years and everything else. So I took Angus aside literally to the other side of this restaurant in this basement. And I said, Hey man, you got to tell me some bond stories. And I just really, <laughs> you know, like I go, Angus, you got to tell me some bond stories. And he goes, and then, so I, he tells me this, you know, the story behind a whole lot of Rosie. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the woman that, that Bond slept with and he talked about her having, you know, Bond wakes up the next day. Of course, he was on a major bender and right. wakes up with this woman and uh, she's got all these notches like in the bedpost, which are. Oh, wow. And she's literally, <laughs> she goes, he, he goes, he realizes that she's scratching it in. It means how many guys she's taken home. And that's what, <laughs> that's what he said. And, you know, he, and he got out of there. But I also. I know this story eventually. <laughs> that would normally be the other way around. Yeah, right? it, it like was. Yeah, well, that's why she was a whole lot of rosy, I guess. Was, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and I love that it was a true story. And then, um, you know, he also talked about when they were making Left to Be Rock, of course, you know, the, there was that great band from the 60s, uh, which were their older brothers. Their older brother, George, was in the Easy Beats, you know, then yes. finally on my mind. Mm -hmm. And, they, you know, he, they, he and Vanda from that band produced those early ACDC records before Mutt Lang, you know, and before everybody else got involved. And uh, he told me the story about how when they were recording Let There Be Rock, that the reason it sounds so frantic, mm -hmm. and this is the best, is that the amp caught on fire and he wanted to get out of there. He thought it was going to explode. And his brother's like, stay, keep playing, keep playing. Keep wow. He wouldn't let him out of the, out of the recording booth, which wow. is pretty funny. But, you know, my favorite story is the one, you know, there was a series of cartoons that I did for um, like MTV uh, and it was, they ended up running them on VH1 Classic um, for a while. There were these two minute things called Rock Stories with Matt Pinfield, which was me telling stories and they were all animated. And, and one of them was the great ACDC story that Angus told me that same night. And that's the whole story behind how Vaughn had basically approved of and his own replacement before he died. The craziest wow. thing in the world is, and this is just un unbelievable to me, that Bond was going out to a show. He went to see Brian Johnson's old band, Geordie, 
And he was saying, oh, my God, he, he, you know, he, he, the, the thing that Angus said that he made a point of telling me was that Bond didn't throw around compliments easily. You mm -hmm. know, he wasn't one of those guys. Mm -hmm. So, Frankie, I mean, this is crazy, this story. So, basically, all of a sudden, Brian Johnson starts, like, going wild and, like, rolling around on the floor. And he's, like, screaming. And Bond leaves the show early and goes back and tells Malcolm and uh, Angus, Man, you, you got to see this guy. He's unbelievable. Reminds me of Little Richard. He's rolling around the, the floor. He's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. What he didn't realize was Brian's appendix burst. And oh. that's why he was on stage <laughs> rolling around. And the ambulance did come and take him, which is oh, just an unbelievable oh my story. Gosh. But it is the truth. And, of course, you know, Bond's family, we all know that, you know, he you know that they told him to, to carry on because, you know, they weren't sure what they were going to do. But... He basically uh, approved of his replacement uh, beforehand. And that's just the craziest, one of the craziest. And what an incredible. Um, <laughs> Isn't that a funny story? I love that. Wow. What a, yeah. I will, I'll always love that story, man. And just hearing it out of Angus's mouth. And you were talking about Bond carrying him, Ken. And you know, the yes. thing about it is, yeah. you know, I, I've seen some short guys like Prince and, you know, some right. other dudes, but let me, yeah. nobody's smaller than Angus. So, you know, that's why, that's why, that's why he had him on his, that's why he had a, a piggyback ride. And yeah. uh, I'll never, ever, ever forget that. And, you know, Bon Scott is, um, you know, wow. The real deal. That's all I could say. The real yeah. deal. I, I've got a, a question for you, Matt, about an artist. Um, this is someone who doesn't do a whole lot of interviews. Not, not some, well, he's no longer with us, but Neil Peart. Did you have interactions with um, him? Very briefly. Um, and I'd just like to say hello. My interviews were, with, oh, it was with Alex and Getty always. You know what wow. I mean? Mm -hmm. That was the way yeah. it was. Neil really didn't like to do much of that. He was, he was one of those guys. Um, and of yeah. course, I discovered Rush with Fly By Night, the first album he played on, which was the second album. And I fell in love with it. And it's a really funny story because the album, there was a sampler for Mercury Records and my sister-in-law, my, my brother's first wife, worked in a department store. It was a store called Corvettes, which was, you know, like a department store with a record department. And she would bring home, you know, these samplers, uh, these in-store samplers. And I, that's how I'd find out about some bands. So two bands I found out about on the same album were Rush and Thin Lizzy. And, uh, you know, early um. on. So... Love yeah, music. so do I. And it, that's, you know, there's another whole nother band that I love so much. And I've got a great story. But I, I got to say that I, that was the first thing I heard was just two songs, Fly By Night and Anthem. And um, I was, I just fell in love with it. I went out, bought that album and then went back and bought the first one and followed them. And uh, Ken, you probably remember shows like this. Uh, and Frankie, you'll, you'll die about this one. There used to be these package shows that would tour. One of them that I saw was Cheap Trick doing In Color to Open. UFO doing Lights Out and Rush doing Farewell to Kings. <laughs> Sounds like a Bill Graham show. He used to do yeah. that at Winterland. One, yeah. He had, uh, I, one time I saw Montrose, Sha Na Na, and Golden Earring. At you were a mix. Oh my gosh, Sha Na Na. Yeah, I mean, that's what Bill Graham, I, I don't know what he was smoking, but he would have all these different <laughs> genres and mix them all together. Was yeah, incredible. that was like when, that's like when Cool and the Gang opened up for Van Halen. Yeah. I mean, which now it doesn't really, it's almost funny because now I'd probably enjoy that because I'm older. I'd be like, yes. Man. You'd be like, yes. What is yeah. this? You yes. wonder what it was. You know, but um, yeah, it's cool to get some great stuff. But, you know, I just, 
I just uh, <laughs> yeah. about, Golden Earring was on that bill and Montrose. Golden I, Earring, Shanana, yeah. and Montrose, and uh, Shanana opened. Then Golden Earring played. Then Montrose. It was it was the only stranger one was uh, Leonard Skinner opening up for Marshall Tucker. Uh, yeah, and the know. last song Leonard Skinner did at Winterland was Freebird, and I, and I love Marshall Tucker, but I had I felt really sorry for the Caldwell brothers having to follow that. Yeah, you know? when you follow that, that's like when you know just <laughs> Skinner were a machine when it came to playing live. I mean, they had that whole thing that they would do it completely differently than a band like the Allman Brothers who would go out and jam. Skinner yeah. were like Ronnie was just. Uh, militant about rehearsal and literally having every single part of their live show completely figured out before they even walked on stage. Exactly. You know, and uh, I love all those bands. I mean, I can find, you know what I mean? It's all, and Golden Earring, I mean, Moon Tan, that album was great, right? Because you had Radar Love, Candy's Club. They were great live too, but uh, then Montrose came on and- Yeah, uh, and I oh, love well, Montrose. Montrose with Sammy Hagar, oh. What a that, band. That first album is one of the one of the greatest rock, hard rock albums of the 70s. I agree. And I a agree. lot of people don't know that record, uh, which always blew me away. And especially where I was, you never heard it on the radio in New York. Uh, and I well, love that record. Somebody turned me on to it. And I, well, Frankie, record, we, we play it on KLOS. We play Bad Motor Scooter, mm -hmm. Rock Candy. Yeah, and, yeah. And all the songs were great. And rock the Nation, yeah. yeah. And their version of Connection was fantastic, too. Yeah, the Stone, you know? yeah. Stone song. I remember when Sammy was announced as um, Van Halen's uh, new singer. Uh, he had already had a, a solo album right. or solo career, but I but I immediately went. Well, he was in Montrose. Exactly. Yeah. I equated it to that. You know, I went back that far. <laughs> and Ronnie was another. Did you get to know Ronnie? Ronnie was another sweet guy that was kind of misunderstood. Yeah. Ronnie he, Montrose. He you was. Know. I met him. You know, I met him once, and he was really. I talked to him about uh, this, the paper money in the first Montrose yeah. album, and we. Yeah. Uh, and I think he really appreciated that when he was there by my college and he was playing in the area that somebody really knew those records because, you oh. know, uh, so that was really cool. But he definitely was, you know, he was quirky, misunderstood too. I mean, he was in Edgar Winter Group and then left, you know, and, you know, uh, and, you know, just, uh, but, he, but that band, I mean, I, it's hard to beat that first Montrose record. You know? Oh, terrific. Sammy, what a singer. I mean, you know. Guy still kills it, you know. What I mean, I love Sammy's rock and roll spirit. I mean, he really has it, you know what I mean. And he's always been such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he is a nice guy. Yeah. Hey, Matt. So I wanted to ask you about. So a few years ago, I guess it was about four years ago now, you released a book called "All These Things I've Done: My Insane, Improbable Rock Life." Yes, which is uh, they they came up with the second part. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't come up with the second title. The The first part, um, we thought we were thinking of a name, and because of the story about the Killers song, we decided that was a good name for the book. Um, and it was, uh, so people would understand it. it. When you say all these things that I've done, it's not a, it's not a boasting thing in, a, in any way. It's just like, it could be all the things I've done, good and bad, period, you know, or the shit <laughs> yeah. I've been through. And that's really what the title was. <laughs> But the reason why it was called that was because I, when I was at Columbia Records, was trying to sign the Killers. And hmm. I just happened to be in England. Um, I flew over to sign a band from Manchester that were kind of in that shoegaze uh, way, you know, vibe. I mean, they were, when I say shoegaze, it was like kind of that real drenched, mellow, but, you know, uh, you know kind of thick sounding guitar with mellow vocals. 
This album had gone to number three and the single number three in England, they were called Long View, not to be confused with Long Wave. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I put out, they put out one album and I signed them for, for uh, Columbia. And then I got on a train, a Virgin train. And by the way, if you go to England, don't depend on the Virgin trains to get you anywhere on time. It's like, they're like, they don't, they don't, they don't, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like uh, the hip hop time. It's like, you know, there's no, there's no time. Uh, nobody knows how to show up for things on time. I always say that joke because people are like, Hey, the, that artist is only t- is two hours late. I'm like, believe me, that's, that's, I go, that's not that's too good. good. He's right yeah. on time. <laughs> I mean, Pete Diddy used to do that to me. He would call me up and go, uh, Hey man, I'm working on this. I got, I just got the mix of Dave Grohl doing, uh, it's all about the Benjamins. I want you to come in for the mix and meet my engineer, John Eaton, and come on up here. He'd call me. And then I'd go up to New York city to Pete Diddy's studio. And two hours later, I'm like, Wow. Where is the guy? <laughs> She'd show up three hours later and act like it was no big deal. <laughs> uh, it was pretty funny. But I, getting back to the killers thing, the reason the book is called that is uh, I was doing A&R for Columbia and I was going literally on the train to see Coed and Cambria, who I had signed to Columbia Records and, you know, did, had two gold records with those guys. And, you know, I love the band. And I, but the thing was, I knew that there was going to be a very much a cluster fucking, you know, in New York City and LA when they were playing with everybody trying to sign them. So I thought the right thing to do was, hey, I'm gonna be in England anyway. I'll go to their show at the Brixton Academy and I'll meet with the guys there so I actually have some time to like bond and talk to the guys. And you know, I eventually ended up signing them. But on the train on the way down, my friend, this guy's name is Alex Gilbert. He's the guy who signed Longview, but he's the one who found the killer. He signed Longview for the UK, but he found the killers and he, Mm. Somebody gave him a CD, like a burn CD at South by Southwest and said, hey, this is the band looking for a deal with the killers. And wow. you guys may not believe this, but do you know that everybody passed on that band except wow. for me and Island Def Jam who got the band because Leo Cohen was like, you know, really, you know, I mean, a guy, he, he, put, he signed the checks, you know what I mean? Like I'm the, I was a VP, but I don't sign the checks. So he gave them, a, you know, kind of a deal, that, an offer they couldn't refuse. But I, I heard this song. Um, I heard two songs, Mr. Brightside and Smile Like You Mean It on this, uh, he had it on an iPod. And I went, who is this band? Where are they from? And I searched. He didn't even know at the time exactly where they were from at that moment. He eventually got, how, how it happened was his label, 14th Floor, that signed Damien Rice. And he signed, eventually he signed 1975. He signed bands like Biffy Clyro. He, um, like they wouldn't let him sign the killers. So his man, the guy who managed Longview had another label and that guy took that demo. And then of course, you know what the rest what happened. But here I am. So I get a phone call from the US Army and they're asking me to literally like, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a phone call and an email that comes to Columbia Records. And they're like, listen, you know, the, a lot of soldiers know you from MTV um, and we're doing a thing for, soldiers we're doing a mentoring program for soldiers coming back from iraq and afghanistan uh they go some are wounded some are not would you be interested we we wanted to see what you know if you would do this and i of course agreed to do it you know i thought it was the right thing to do and of course i feel, I feel i'm grateful i did um so i went there and i spent three days in colorado city colorado at this army base and spent this time with uh, the soldiers and it was, a, you know, it was a really amazing experience. Uh, and these were guys that loved music so much and loved rock and roll. 
some guys that were like still play guitar, but were missing limbs. I mean, it was a lot, uh, it was an emotional, emotional experience for me. And, um, but I had, I had found out where the killers were and I flew literally right from Colorado city, Colorado to Las Vegas, where they were from. So mm -hmm. their manager, the original manager, a guy named Braden Merrick, who now runs bright antenna records. It's a, it's a, a, a and their manager now who was a lawyer, Robert Reynolds. Um, and by the way, that's like, talk about the Las Vegas Mafia. You got the killer. So Robert Reynolds manages them. His brother is <laughs> the singer of Imagine Dragons. And his wow. other brother is the manager oh, wow. of Imagine Dragons. So those guys, it's like the Vegas mob. Uh, <laughs> I joke about music mafia, that is. Yes. Um, and uh, so I land and they pick me up and I'm, dri I'm driving in their car in the back seat and they take me to a house. And it turns out it's Ronnie Venucci, the drummer of the killer's parents' house. And the killer's are playing in the garage with blankets up. They've soundproofed the garage. And I go in and here's this band doing Mr. Brightside, wow. the longest running single in the history wow. of the British charts ever, mm. right? Mm. Ever, of all time. Mm. Um, and Smile Like You Mean It and a few other songs like On Top and uh, played those tracks. And uh, they were so excited I was there. And then I said, well, let's go have dinner. So we went and we had dinner in Vegas and um, what happened when the dinner's over, a couple of other people from Columbia on the West coast flew out for it as well. And I go, listen, uh, I could use a ride back to my uh, hotel. I'm staying at the Hilton and, um, Brandon flowers, the singer goes, I'll drive you back. And, uh, I'm like, cool. So, you know, we had a couple drinks and we were feeling pretty good. And I get in his car, he's got an old AMC. So he didn't, you know, he was a, at this point, he was a, he was a bellboy. I mean, he was, you know, wow. at, at a hotel, they were all working these jobs in mm -hmm. Vegas. One was like taking urine, you know, like literally for like sporting events. It was the urine, urine test. The other one was working in one of the chapels for like those drunken immediate weddings. Like they all had those kind of jobs, right? And um, so he, I get in his car. He's got two cassettes. One's the Beatles 6266 and the Beatles Help. And, you know, at this point, CDs have been around for a long time. But, of course, he couldn't afford a car with a CD player in it. So he's like, what do you want to hear? And I go, let's listen to Help. And uh, we get in the car. And we're driving down the strip. It's about 15 minutes. So we listened to help the night before you got to hide your love away right into another girl. And that's, it's cause it's the American version of the album and we're singing top of our lungs. And he goes, uh, I go, you want to come in and have a drink or talk for a minute or whatever? He goes, yeah, man. So we sit at a bar and we start talking and I'm telling him the story about how I came from doing this mentoring thing for these soldiers. And then I talk about, you know, like at the time I was having trouble with my marriage and I was, you know, so I was being really honest with him, you know, and like, uh, and so here's what happens, guys. Um, like, he literally goes home that night and he writes all these things that I've done, which becomes one of the biggest songs. And the, and the line in the bridge, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier, is from my mentoring of the soldiers. So that's, oh, where, wow. that's where that comes wow. from. So I didn't that's get a great to, story. Yeah. And I didn't get to sign the band. I was kind of bummed about that, but I remember people at Columbia going, why are you still friends with that band? Why are you nice to him? They didn't sign with you. I'm like, hey, I'm not like that. I wear two hats. I'm on K-Rock too. I'm doing, you know, like I do different things. So uh, it was just amazing. So that's why the book is named that. Uh, and the book's got some cool stories in there about David Bowie and U2 and the Ramones. And just a bunch of other stuff. What year did The Killers come out? Uh, that what was early was like 2000, like 2002, three, something like that. I'm trying to remember because the cool thing yeah. was, I, I did a thing at the time for, um, which is now, of course, iHeart, but I did a, 
some of the, me and Jim Kerr were over in London for Live 8, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And did all the feeds of interviews back. And uh, I got to stand on the side of the stage and watch the Killers with a full choir sing oh. all, that, all these things I've done and have them sing, and I got sold. But I'm not a soldier for 100,000 people. It was pretty nuts. It was, it, so it was a beautiful moment. Um, and I'm grateful I got to write that book. I mean, a lot's happened since then. I've been hit by a car. Yeah, I was gonna say you need to add, you need to like add, add like a few more chapters. Yeah, since then. and we need we need to add uh, several more chapters. Uh, I mean, your stories, uh, Matt. Um, you know, someone has once said you are an encyclopedia of rock. You really, really yep. are, and it's beyond just the knowledge. It's the the personal relationships, and um, it's really, really incredible. It, and 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 that's why uh, it's just a pleasure for us to be able to. To talk to you today, uh, Frankie. I think we, you know, we're we're almost uh, ready to wrap it up here, but we, yeah. we probably have to do a part two uh, with Matt oh, yeah. Hensfield no at some point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love doing this with you guys. You know, it's really. I think when COVID ends, the three of us just need to go get. I'm down. You know what I mean? I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll drink a soda because I'm sober now. But I mean, I'm okay. there with you guys. I'll, I'm. Yeah. I'll be right but, there. I mean, with I'll, you. I'll have I'll have a diet coke. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, but we'll, I, we'll do it on the rocks. I though. So, All of it on the rocks. Absolutely has to be. But I really, <laughs> really enjoyed talking to you guys today. And I, you know, we all have that love of music and lo love of radio. So it's that's just one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm just really grateful and blessed that I've been able to work in radio and in music for so many years. You know, I, I, I did my first radio show where I actually got paid, even though it was, of course, minimum wage. Um, it's been 36 <laughs> years, 36 wow. years. Wow. Which wow. is uh, pretty amazing in 1984. Uh, well, before before we wrap this up, I just want you to say like what where people can find you right, right. now. Um, all right. Well, let me tell you about my socials, and then I'll kind of tell you about some other things I'm doing because I have an Ozzy Osbourne uh, 40th anniversary Blizzard of Oz special that's going to be on about 70 FM stations in the country coming up. But I mean, you can find me if you want to find out what I'm doing. Um, these are my three socials. One way to find me is, uh, and it's crazy because. On Facebook and on Instagram, I'm under Matthew Pinfield, which confuses people sometimes. It's supposed to Matt Pinfield because some other people had claimed the name or had, you know, grabbed it before I did and tried to sell it to me or something like that. So Matthew Pinfield, uh, and you know, it's got me. You'll see it's me uh, with a with a photo with a beard and uh, and I've got a Queen Sure Heart Attack T-shirt under my jacket. You'll know that's my that's me. So that's on Instagram and on Facebook. And I am it's it is my uh, you know what I go by on Twitter. It's at Matt Pinfield. So you know, and I, and I post every day. I let people know what I'm up to and. Uh, and you're on uh, Sirius XM. You know, sometimes, still? sometimes I do. You know, right now I'm doing flashback, and I do have another show that I'm going to be announcing soon. Uh, yeah, oh, can't uh, wait! But like, yeah, so that'll be shortly, uh, probably within the next few weeks. Um, you know, another show. It's uh, you know another weekly show, so it's pretty cool. So I'm just grateful to be doing the things I'm doing. You know, I mean, uh, just I love you, know, like I said, and I love talking to you guys about music. I can hang out with you guys on, you know. We have to <laughs> right? actually yeah. hang out sometime. We will. We, you know? we will well, definitely do that. This is this speaks to COVID uh, because we all live in Southern California, and yet we're, you know, on <laughs> our computers. This. So yeah, and Ken, you're still you you've been doing uh, all access, right? For yeah, 
yeah, all access the rock editor and uh, yeah. still occasionally doing some uh, some work on the bone up in San Francisco. So yeah, see, I got your uh, right here. I got ah, there you are. There we I go. Got, <laughs> I, look, I look at your charts every week. He's internet stalking. Uh, thank you, man. Every week, I get your. I, I go. I'm like, yeah, there you go. I see what's going Thanks, on. Thanks, man. Thanks. I love, I love the rock, and I always love to keep up on everything. You know, so. Well, listen, thank you for being with us today. Uh, uh, yeah. Frankie, we might as well give our uh, our socials as well. Yeah. Frankie, we're um, hanging. I'm telling you, we are all hanging, the three of us. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that. Um, yeah, you can find us on Instagram, uh, the Spirit of Radio podcast, also on Facebook, uh, like the Spirit of Radio podcast Facebook page. You can also email us at the Spirit of Radio podcast at gmail.com. And Matt, it's been great talking to you. We could just keep, we could do this another two hours. I'm telling I, I you. I love talking but to you guys. I, Thanks for taking the time to have me on. I really Thanks, Matt. It. You're super welcome. Thanks for being yeah, here. Guys, it was a pleasure. And take care. Stay healthy. Yeah. Stay safe. And as Frankie always likes to say, keep the faith. Look, I got it all awesome. right here. <laughs> I love it. See you guys. Thanks so Take much, care. guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Have a good one, Matt. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Spirit of Radio podcast. We'll have another episode coming soon. Please feel free to like, share, or comment. You can reach Ken and Frankie at the Spirit of Radio podcast at gmail.com. The Spirit of Radio podcast. Keeping the spirit of radio alive.